carbonly conversation. Quick question. Is this the podcast? Are we doing the podcast right now? Hello, everyone. Shane here. Welcome to another episode of Carbon League Conversations. Um, today, we're, we'll actually dip our toes into the carbon capture space, kind of nerd out a little bit and um, be informative, maybe be a little uninformative um, and ask out loud to anyone who'll listen. Isn't this just an atmosphere size CO2 vacuum cleaner? Pretty much. Pretty um, much. We'll see what, what your guys' thoughts are, but uh before we dig into that, we want to remind all the listeners that we are a podcast where two friends were examining the intersection of community, lifestyles, and consumption in our lives. Uh, we created this to share our stories and curiosity to motivate actions to help lessen our carbon footprints. And we want to use our platform to create a space for everyone out there listening and community members to share their carbonly journeys as well. Um, so, Please join us in on the join in on the conversations, um, whether you're a first timer, carbonly deep diver um, or just one of our loyal fans. We made it easy for you to listen to us on your favorite podcast app. Literally, all you need to do is scroll down to the show notes and click on find and join the conversation. And there you'll be able to explore all our past conversations, upcoming conversations, which we we try to release every Wednesday. Um, and then also. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, um, Twitter, also known as X. We're also on TikTok, and we have a YouTube where we uh, post the full-form video of our conversations. Um, so we appreciate any support on those and hope that you're all, you all are loving the content. Um, but we'll get into today's conversation. We'll let uh, Chad... Kick that off and let us know what we'll be conversating about today. Awesome, Shane. Um, happy day to you. Thank These you. Bright, sunny apartments that we or rooms we find ourselves in. Um, so I wanted to put a conversation together around carbon capture. And as I think you succinctly described, isn't carbon capture just really vacuuming all the CO2? or a bunch of the CO2, or maybe to put it more environmentally, vacuuming the excess CO2 out of the atmosphere. Um, and I would say, yeah, it kind of is. But just like those vacuum cleaners we use, some are canisters, some have mm -hmm. bags, some are just like little trinkets that you have to f like empty. What do you do with all that, right? Right. I don't know about you, but mine usually either goes in the garbage or in the compost pile. But if you're vacuuming up all that excess CO2 in the, the atmosphere, it's got to go somewhere. Otherwise, it's just going to go back up in the atmosphere and keep causing right. the same same problems that were happening. So I've been kind of reading and learning about this for a while because years ago is pretty like, um, we'll just call it environmental studies fan fiction. And now it's really evolved because the New York Times has um, published an article just recently about the first commercially opened carbon capture firm, which happens to be in California. And they're actually working to make money and profitize the ability to vacuum 
or suck the excess CO2 out of the air. We'll get a little bit more about how they're doing and different ways of doing it. And then monetizing that process, um, either through different like supply chains or being paid for offsetting carbon credits by companies. And so they're in business. They're doing this now. There's other couple other businesses going on. And for those that are really like nerdy like ourselves, um, you'll know that there's been research been going on this a while. And there's been the, the well-known space in Iceland um, where they've actually set up a big giant vacuum cleaner. I'm not kidding. It just sucks mm. in air, scrubs out the things that are good for the air, lets it back out, and then captures CO2 and injects it into this like slushy that hardens. And because it's in Iceland, they're built this on top of like a, a former volcano and underground. There's all this like porous ground. So they're just like injecting it hundreds, if not thousands of feet below ground and filling all those pores and holes up with um, solidified or calcified CO2, um, which, you know, takes it out. And they've really proven that concept to a work, but there isn't a lot of places like Iceland around the world with that. Right. We'll just call it free storage space underground. Um, so, <clears throat> Lot, we're going to talk about carbon capture today, yep. and I and I kind of hit on the what is it, but we'll get really um, specific for our listeners because it is a little techy, sci-fi, um, you know, live long and prosper, nerdy kind of thing. So it's another way to call it is direct air capture, which involves vacuuming greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. I literally pulled that from the IEA website. Like, so I'm not. It is funny. I keep talking about vacuuming, but so they take carbon I mean, dioxide. You know, and they pull it from the air and they find a way to seal it permanently in concrete or baked into rocks or use it for carbonated beverages or pumped underground where it can't heat the planet. And everyone wants to go back to their their earth science classes and like the greenhouse effect, like all this extra CO2 in the air, like blocks sunlight, but it also captures the heat that we're producing and it kind of creates a, a blanket over the earth um, and it warms the, the oceans, it warms the atmosphere and it changes the weather patterns. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a natural cycle. It's been increasing and doing that more dangerously. So this is a big deal. So the idea of using technology to suck CO2 from the sky has gone from science fiction to big business in the past 10 years. Hence, kind of like my diatribe before this explaining that. And there are currently 27 direct air captures or DAC plans that have been commissioned to date worldwide as of today. And there's plans for at least another 130 facilities that are now various stages of development. You know, whether they're going to be really successful, lose funding, lose interest, like is all TBD. But their ability to vacuum out CO2 from the atmosphere is going to... We're going to go from what, 27 to 130. That's like a factor of five. Yeah. Um, you know, cross our fingers and toes in the next 10 years. So that's a lot to unpack, Shane. How's your yeah. head spinning? How's it feeling? Well, when you mentioned the um, using for carbonated beverages, I just thought about like America, you know, we drink a lot of soda, unfortunately. <laughs> we do. Um, so it's just like. I could uh, carbon dioxide has so many different uses, you know what I mean? And so I think that it's, it's like a win-win you're pulling it out of the environment, which is healthier and safer for us. Um, but it's not like, it's like this toxic gas that like can't be used for anything else. You know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. so many other uses for it. 
So I think that that's another kind of advantage of capturing it and having this natural resource to, to be able to, you know, use for other things. And the soda, the soda just stuck out to me with carbonated beverages. So yeah, that's really what carbonated beverages are filled with is CO2, all that, that's sparkling water and seltzers that are popular around the, at least America and probably Europe. That's just CO2. And it, there's so much science to unpack that we're not going to get into, but just because we're capturing the CO2 and putting it in our beverage and drink it, some of it, like you open it and it goes, like some yep. of that CO2 goes back. It's releasing, the, yep. You know, but some of it we consume, some of it's been like caught into those like water molecules. So now they're in our bodies. So CO2 is a good thing. Just too much of it in our atmosphere is, is creating more heat, more storms, more, you know, I don't know. It's just all the things that we're experiencing with quote unquote global warming slash yeah. just climate change. Yeah. Um, so I think the big deal about how this works is that it's expensive, right? They got to build these yeah. plants and the first commercialized one means they want to make money on this, right? So how are they doing this? So the one in California is called heirloom carbon. Um, and what they're doing is using a little bit of chemistry i.e. limestone. So they process limestone to remove um, the, the, the element that they need to use to limestone uses to capture um, carbon dioxide. So they turn mm. this powdery thing, create this powdery thing with limestone that's missing the CO2 and they get it wet, which means it goes out and it actually pulls CO2. So instead of actually vacuuming, they're using mm-hmm. this chemical process for deconstructed limestone to glom on to co2 in the air reattach itself to that slushy goo forms all these rocks that they can then reprocess by heating up pull the co2 off that was been extracted from the the air this is so nerdy um and then they use that stuff to make concrete or inject it in the ground and and their business model is like that secondary you know value stream and they're also selling like carbon credits and i think the big thing around these carbon credits and how they're making money is like places like Microsoft recorded in the article and Microsoft, I think they had a, a really good quote about um, they won't buy traditional offsets such as paying people to protect forests because they are difficult to verify. It may not be permanent. Whereas like a carbon credit from a place like this carbon capture company, like it's measurable, it's yeah. maintained. Um, so it's a much more consistent and reliable carbon credit system. And that's what they plan on and have been investing in a lot of these direct air capture systems to actually hit their zero emission pledge by 2030 um, is through a lot of these carbon credits and these carbon. Um, now is, is carbon dioxide um, needed when making concrete anyway, or is it just so it's that li- limestone is needed or the, whatever that product is in the okay. cement making process. Um, my guess is they probably need a little bit of carbon dioxide and, you know, in the mixture of stuff, but not enough at volume. Um, and adding it, adding the excess carbon into the cement mixture. Is that just a way where it, it kind of locks it in from ever escaping it, again, basically? Yes. Okay. Because it chemically changes it from a gas to a solid form. Okay. Unless someone like would reverse the process, the carbon dioxide wouldn't escape. Okay. That's pretty Good interesting. I, it, it truly is. Like the article literally put a simple bit of chemistry. You know, it's not so simple to us, yeah. but 
they've solved on how to do it and are trying to like create value chain, um, supply chain value chains um, with mm-hmm. that process. Yeah. I'm just kind of reading through my notes here. So the carbon dioxide still needs to be dealt with like a company that mixes the gas in the concrete where it mineralizes can no longer escape into the air. It's literally what it reads there. Um, So that's just like two ways, you know, we talk about carbonated beverages. Um, Another one that I think is a little alarming, but interesting because it really depends. I think this is where like the carbon lake conundrum, like topical statement kind of comes comes into play so there's a company called occidental petroleum and they've been capturing carbon have also are developing a plant in west texas um to direct air capture carbon dioxide and then they'll use that in a slurry that they're going to inject or push into oil wells that they're either partnering with or or actually extracting oil to push all the oil that they can't get to through traditional drilling means out. And what they've declared, and this has been in their um, value sheets, their term sheets. So they've like literally have done the science and the math and the pub in their publicly traded company. So they talk about this. Um, they say that emissions from the new oil would be offset by the injected carbon dioxide that remained underground, creating a carbon neutral fuel that could be used in airplanes or ships that are difficult to decarbonize. So they're taking this approach of, hey, we still need oil. We're yeah. still, you know, producing it and people are going to keep buying it. So let's actually take excess CO2 out of the air, make a slurry, push it in underground and get more oil out. But by doing that in such a way that all the oil that we're extracting is net zero carbon, because even as the process is there and it burns and gets used, they've pulled that much carbon out of the atmosphere. So it's not like maybe they can go negative if they capture enough carbon through this process and put more underground and seal it there. But we're also just injecting more into the atmosphere. So it's not getting worse, just ain't getting better. Yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about that. Yeah. yeah, me too, but I don't know. I'm kind of exi- just a big sigh there for, like, it's a good solution, and it's definitely very profitable because oil still sells well, and there's a right. lot of industries built around it. Just what do we do? And to me, it just seems like with those other – with the other options, it seems like there's not a way f- for – like we were talking about the cement, like – it turns the carbon dioxide into something completely different to where it could never really escape back into the atmosphere. But with these, they're just basically the underground oil tanks will just be filled with it, but there's still a way the same way they pulled the oil out. I would assume there's still a way that that CO2 could just be leaked back out into the atmosphere to make room for more oil or whatnot. My my guess is, Slowly but surely over time, it'll find its way out, but it is pretty far underground and stuck in stuff, right? I didn't, we didn't share any research on this, but that same process, like people are finding ways to like capture carbon into biodegradable kelp or other like biomaterials that they would then want to sink to the bottom of the ocean, right? And you think about this, like, oh, we just captured a million pounds of carbon. Yeah, we put it in this biomass, and we're gonna sink it, and it's like it'll be so far underwater, it'll take forever for it to come back up into the atmosphere. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like the oversimplification of it. But 
what's it doing with the life cycle exactly. and the ecosystem at the bottom? Like, is that good or bad for us? Well, it caused yeah. more problems. Um, so as you can see, a carbon lake conundrum is, is definitely erupted from this for sure this research and thinking, but it is, I mean, let's go back to where we started, Shane. Like if you had a giant vacuum cleaner that would hold a lot of carbon, how would you deploy it? It's a good question. I mean, I guess kind of using our, like you were speaking about, you know, our own household vacuums, I tend to dump it into my compost, which does help. And from what I've read, it's very healthy for the compost, like all of your hair molecules and just whatever that it gets sucked up in your own household um, adds to it. So I see that as a way of like just going back into the earth in a way. Um, so to me, I just, I, 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 so far, just from the little bit of things that I know about the carbon, carbon capture, I just feel like the, the limestone and the cement just seem like a better option. I mean, especially with cement, it's just a very important, I mean, there's very important thing. Like there's so much building and things like that going on. Um, yeah. highways and everything like that it just seemed to me it just seems like a a better solution than the the oil tank process so i mean if i had this giant vacuum that's probably what i would use mine for would you seek out products that have used captured carbon to produce how would you how would anyone market that yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I, I would. Hey, I, I mean, I think going back to the whole uh, CO2 for for like fountain drinks, McDonald's, I mean, they're they're everywhere in the world. Like they should almost switch to where the, you know, they only use like this captured CO2 for their for their drinks would be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would personally probably um invest and, and kind of pay a little bit more money for certain products. If I knew that me personally. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it would be that hard to market. I say that like, will people understand like what captured carbon is, is like, right. you almost call it like recycled carbon or like reusing carbon. Um, and knowing that, like, hey, this product helps us take excess carbon out of the air, you know, yep. keep keep buying it because you're doing a good thing. And then you start offsetting with your consumption, right? Would it be yep. really, I mean, I mean, I'm just kind of brainstorming out loud, but imagine if you could just bingo card your way into a, a net zero lifestyle with, yep. I only buy brands that have repurposed carbon dioxide. Yep. And you know, just like they, re, you know, repurpose like flooring materials into new flooring materials or, you know, compost into soil to grow more like in a regenerative way. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. So I think Carbon Lake listeners, that's, that's the question du jour is like, would you seek out products that use captured carbon to produce? And I mean, money talks. So once, once these companies that are getting this off the ground show like, hey, this can be a lucrative business. 
Um, I think that that's the only, I think that's kind of the only way for it to really become a, a popular, you know, strategy. Um, because of course, you know, unfortunately money makes the world go round. Like these large corporations at the end of the day, they want to make is more money than they currently do. And hopefully, like I said, these, these startup companies, heirloom and, and everything like can figure it out and show that it can be lucrative. And I think that that would be the only way for it to really become popular. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's got to get to scale. That is, I mean, always the number one thing ahead of yeah. us, whether so. it's EVs or batteries or QR codes on recycle on your, your materials. Um, Robot sorters, all those topics we cover in Everything past we cover. episodes. Yep. Got to get it to scale. So just like anything, just like any of our, our other topics, like this sounds cool. It can be confusing. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't even break the ice of all the, the data that goes along with carbon capture. This is just kind of like a very simple uh, overview of it, but <laughs> It's part of the future. It's part of the future of being carbonly for sure. Definitely. So, you know, hopefully we introduce this topic to some of you out there and it sparks something in you to learn more about it. And, you know, the more products that we can figure out that we can make from this carbon capture, the better. Yeah. Plus 100. So. I feel like that's a good way to pull out. To, to end the episode, go pull out the vacuum cleaner and do some yeah. well-needed fall cleaning. <laughs> yeah. Pull the Dyson out. So Yeah, pull the Dyson. Yeah, maybe that'll be Dyson's new business venture. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> funny. Well, have a great day, Shane. Till next time we meet. As well. Um, have a great Carbon Lee week, everyone. Thank you.